In your corner with Core Physical Therapy, my name is Scott McKenzie, and this podcast is uniquely positioned. And what I mean by that, we bring the medical industry, the medical professionals to you, and we talk about better pain management, we talk about rehab after surgery, we talk about improved mobility, and we talk about preventative care, and you know what else? We talk about so much more on this particular podcast. Now, thank you for joining this podcast, so let's get on with the interview. All right, welcome back to In Your Corner with Cora Physical Therapy. Remember to go out to CoraPhysicalTherapy.com. Great people, great company, and all focused on, well, good outcomes and success and health. That's what they are all about, CoraPhysicalTherapy.com. All right, we got a great panel, as we always do. We're going to be talking about the Macy cartilage procedure, and I'm sure I screwed that up. But it doesn't matter because Dr. Rick will make sure that I clean it up. And then uh, we're going to go around the table, sort of introduce yourself. We're going to start with, because you're the new one on the block, uh, Joe, give us uh, the, give the listeners a little background on who you are. Yeah, I'm Joe Carpenter. I've been with Cora for about four years. I'm a physical therapist with them. I work with Tennessee Orthopedic Clinics. It's one of our groups that we work with in Knoxville, Tennessee. See quite a bit of these surgeries, so hopefully can shed some insight on the rehab side of things. Well, that was uh, straight and to the point. That's pretty good. All right, Dr. Casey, you're an old timer. You've been on the the, uh, podcast before, but for the listeners, just remind them who you are. Uh, Mike Casey, I'm an orthopedic surgeon uh, in Knoxville, Tennessee with Tennessee Orthopedic Clinics, uh, specializing in sports and uh, knee, and in this case, uh, cartilage restoration. All right, there you go. All right, Dr. Rick, all warmed up, ready to go for you. First of all, I want to thank everybody. I'm Rick Lehman, and I'm an orthopedic surgeon in St. Louis, Missouri, and again, do mostly sports medicine. And this this is kind of a fan favorite of mine. I love this procedure. Uh, It's been around a while. It keeps getting better, and it keeps updating in terms of its improvements, making it easier, and maybe more applicable. So before we get started, Dr. Casey, what what does Macy stand for? What, what, What is a Macy? Well, it's a matrix autologous chondrocyte implantation. So it's basically taking someone's own cells and growing them and re-implanting them back into, uh, in this case, the knee. And before we get started in, into exactly how that's done, because it, it is a very cool procedure, kind of walk us through where all this comes from. I mean, what are we, what are we trying to fix? Um, what has the evolution been? in terms of trying to get cartilage to get restored in the knee, shoulder, et cetera, and kind of walk us through how all this started and, and what our goal is. Well, the main premise of how this started is really more for what we call isolated or kind of contained defects. So a traumatic event uh, sometimes can be the cause of this. Uh, and as the cartilage cells wear away along the joint surface, uh, then that's just going to continue to cause wearing in the knee, which in, everybody ends up calling arthritis. But in this case, uh, this isn't necessarily arthritis. These are areas of the cartilage that have been damaged, and we now have some ways of trying to get that cartilage to regrow. If you look back through all the science, getting cartilage to regrow the articular cartilage just doesn't happen. Uh, it's 
not a very a very tough uh, sort of uh, scenario with this. And so um, started with some of the other procedures. I don't know if we'll get into as well too that kind of premise to this, but the but the whole issue is is taking the a defect and specifically in the knee where otherwise there would not be any cartilage cells and getting cartilage cells to grow back into that defect and resemble normal cartilage cells, which will preserve the knee. Excellent. And, and kind of walk us through the evolution, talk about microfracture a little bit and talk about some of the other procedures, maybe um, ACI before the MACI, and then maybe talk about the OATS procedure, other procedures that kind of try to do the same thing and regenerate articular cartilage? Well, using some oats, whether it's cadaver graft or using your own head, again, it's been around uh, for, for a while. You know, microfracture uh, really kind of took off, uh, I guess, probably in the uh, late 80s, um, mostly just because the short-term results were fairly promising and it was an incredibly easy procedure that it could be done um, with uh, limited uh, Exposure basically all done arthroscopically, and and you're poking holes in the bone to generate bleeding. And when you go back and looked at those initially, it looked like the cartilage was regrowing. Well, what we came to find out it's not normal articular cartilage; uh, it's more of a fibrocartilage, which isn't as resilient, doesn't last as long, is not as sturdy. So the long-term data has kind of fallen out of favor with that. But for lack of better terms, when I'm explaining it to patients, I tell them it's like aerating your yard; you're just punching holes in the in the yard to try to get the grass to grow. But here we're trying to get the, the cartilage to grow and it bleeds and um, you know, you'll get some covering there, but uh, the, again, the long-term results hadn't, hadn't come out because specifically, and this is where the, the ACI and MACI come into play is that it's not the normal structure of articular cartilage. Um, when you're talking about an oats uh, specifically with using someone's own uh donor site, uh, you're taking cartilage covered with bone and reimplanting it, putting a peg in a hole. And so, um, and with the, with the uh, cadaver oats, obviously it allows you to use a much uh, bigger grass for much bigger defects um, as opposed to robbing Peter to pay Paul as we've kind of always used with the autologous oats. Uh, but then, and again, in the eighties, uh, when this kind of started coming out uh, or the first science first was created with the, ACI, uh, it was basically biopsying and taking someone's own cartilage, growing that cartilage, and it has been shown over the long term to as closely resemble articular cartilage as of just about anything else we've been able to come up with. Um, and now we're, what I guess we would call it, we're in our kind of third phase of the, of the, what is what Macy is, whereas the first phase was using the periosteum um, to cover those defects and the cartilage cells were in a liquid and you would inject them in there. I know Dr. Rick, you remember those days, those were hard. Those were hard. <laughs> that's, a, that's a technically hard thing to do to, to sew periosteum. And as I get older and have to wear glasses with everything, it'd be even harder. Um, but then, but then it got to the second phase. And then now we're here with the third phase where the cells are actually impregnated into the collagen membrane, uh, which is again, a little bit easier, less room for uh, some, some air of the cells leaking out. So you're not having to sew those in as much and um, is making this a much more sustainable procedure. I think that was excellent. Thank you. I, I, I agree with you. I think the ACI was very hard. You had to 
harvest the periosteum and then these little tiny needles and you're sewing the periosteum and then you had to basically make it watertight and it was miserable, just a miserable <laughs> procedure. And, and I'm sure as it evolves, we'll be able to do this arthroscopically at some point. So kind of walking it back just a little bit and, and before we get into the particulars and, and Joey will, um, who, who's it, you mentioned a really important thing. This isn't arthritis we're treating, so who's a candidate for this procedure and kind of what's your workup? Somebody comes in, kind of walk us through how you work them up and, and who do you tell, hey, I'm just going to, this is this is a two-step procedure. We're thinking of doing this. And who do you just say, go get your knee replaced? And who do you tell, we're just going to arthroscope your knee and clean up your joint? How do you, how do you differentiate, who, di differentiate who, who a good candidate is? Well, the age is one thing, and again, is this a is this a generalized wearing down of the articular surface, or is it more of a more of a focal uh, lesion? Um, you know, the, the age ranges anywhere from you know the adolescence up to uh, to your early fifties, um, depending on all the a bunch of other factors. But uh, the the ideal candidate is a young, healthy active individual who had a injury to their knee and had a chondral defect and they come in with swelling pain. They're, they're a runner or they like to play tennis uh, and they can't play because their knee swells and hurts and they have pain. And as part of the exam evaluation, uh, ruling out other uh, issues with meniscal pathology, uh, MRI scan uh, is very helpful at this point of showing the defect. And I'll have plenty that came in and thought they had a meniscal tear and their meniscus may or may not, but they'll have a fairly prominent uh, defect of the articular surface where that area is just completely worn away. Uh, again, it's just like having a bare spot. And I'm a simple guy here in East Tennessee and just try to explain it in simple terms. And it's like having a nice uh, fairway in a golf course. And then some hack like me comes out there and takes a big divot out of it, doesn't even hit his ball. So you got this big bare spot you're trying to cover. Uh, and, and in that scenario, that's where these can really take off. You know, the other things that I've really, and, and we all do from doing more and more of these and who the ideal candidate, you know, ligamentous laxity is, cannot have, you got to have a stable knee. Uh, you got to have a well-aligned knee. Uh, someone who's uh, in bad varus or bow-legged is you got to correct that. Or uh, it's, even if you put a great graft there, it's just not, not going to heal. Um, the ones who come in, with just the diffuse wearing down the knee, the radiograph show joint space narrowing, it's more diffuse. You know, those are the ones I just say that this, this is not a procedure for you. It's just not, that's not going to help, help your, your scenario. But the ones that are maybe have some defects, but are not to that point where they're showing diffuse degenerative changes. I think this is offers a great option here of hopefully slowing down that process, if anything. And, and let's talk about size of lesions. Macy versus osteochondral allograft versus um, possible bowel cartilage, et cetera. What, what are your limits on the size of lesions that you'll recommend uh, a Macy for? And when do you say, hey, that's too big of a lesion, maybe we need to do an osteochondral allograft or kind of what are your parameters? Well, I think you, from the size, uh, for me, the, the, the bigger the size of the lesion is the more the indication to do the Macy because you can't cover just a really wide area. But in regards to doing the, uh, doing a, a, a allograft oats, 
Uh, for me, it's more if there's bony involvement. You know, if there's any sort of bony involvement, uh, or or potentially if it's uh, where the where the defect could be, that and in some of those instances, the an, an oats type procedure may be more beneficial. But from um, the size, uh, that's that's really kind of a plus in my hands of of being able to do this because you can cover such a wide area sometimes with these Macy grafts. Using the, using the autologous oats, I'm. They work great, but but I'm I'm on the side of pretty pretty small defect for those. Excellent. So so walk us through the procedure. Um, the harvest kind of kind of what happens. Tell us about growing the cells. Tell us about getting the cells back. Give us, you know, I'm your patient. Tell me tell me what you're about to do and your two steps and kind of give me the whole story. Well, if we're going in to, to scope your knees, the first step. And, and again, maybe they'll have some meniscal tearing, that sort of thing. But if I know that they do have a defect, I'll talk to them about um, may or may not take the biopsy, depending on if this looks like that this could cause you trouble down the road and if you're a good candidate. Um, and so during the arthroscopic procedure, uh, you take a tiny little uh, biopsy. Uh, I, I was always told from the beginning it should be the size of two Tic Tacs. I don't think anybody except us know what Tic Tacs are anymore, but, <laughs> but uh, uh, about the size of that. And, and I will typically take it from the intracondylar notch. There's no detriment. Patient would have never even known you took it, except you show them pictures and you tell them that you did. And so th th no, no harm with that. Uh, and then we send it up to the lab in, in, uh, in uh, Massachusetts. And uh, we've got kind of, a, you know, there's a, obviously a technique in regards to that. Uh, and then at that stage, I'll counsel patients, you know, just because we're doing the biopsy doesn't commit us to the second stage procedure. Obviously, we're thinking we may move in that direction, uh, but it can be stored, uh, you know, for, for years if need be. And I've actually had several patients that may have been, they wanted to get through college uh, or they had needed to get through, you know, a full year of working before they were going to be off to, to undergo the procedure. Which again uh, is another plus from my standpoint is you can really time that second stage procedure what's convenient to the patient. So the cells get sent up to the lab, uh, and then some really really smart people who are much smarter than me who paid attention in cell biology uh, do all the real grind work of isolating the chondrocytes uh, and then now impregnating those into a, the collagen membrane. And you know, to my understanding, it's a series of just enzymatic degradation of the cells to isolate the cartilage, uh, the chondrocytes. And so uh, when the procedures for step two is, is decided that that's what we're going to be done. And there's a lot of discussion with patients prior to that. So they fully know what they're getting into fully know that the, what's involved with the recovery process, the rehab process, and are fully committed to that. Uh, which I think is the most important part, and that's when we're moving forward. Because if they're not fully committed to to that, it's too involved a procedure to just kind of halfway go go through the recovery process. Um, and then the final stage is um, typically now it, still through a, a, an arthrotomy, a pretty small one, and depending on where the lesion is. Uh, and to your point, I, I am looking forward to at some point when the, some of these can be done arthroscopically, um, but do the procedure where you're basically putting the, the collagen graft uh, into the defect, perfectly matching it, sealing it, uh, and getting those cells to start growing. 
And of course, always remember to put the graph sell side down. That's important. And that is the important. rep right there, he tells you that. How, how yep. do you steal the graph? What, how's that work? Uh, you, you, we'll put a, it, it basically cut it out to exactly match the size of the defect. And, and there's different ways of doing that. I kind of use the old fashioned way of just putting a, uh, I'll use the end of a, of the, the glove, the paper, the, the, the sterile gloves come in and some others will use from the, the suture aluminum foil type, but may make a complete impression of that defect, size it and cut the patch to, to near perfectly match that. And then a, a fiber and glue, uh, it kind of is down into the, to the bottom of the bed. And then that's after you've already cleaned out, uh, the old cartilage get well circumscribed borders, uh, get down to that, that, that calcified cartilage layer. And when that patch is then perfectly matched to fit where the defect is, and then again, seal it with the glue. Yeah. You know, sometimes I still do sutures, uh, depending, uh, sometimes I'll do it just so I can say that I still remember how to do those. But, um, you know, more and more, if you get a good graft, you just, you just don't need the sutures, which just saves you so much, uh, so much time and extra work with that. So when the cells are still bought in Boston, if somebody were to come in with a lesion in their contralateral knee, um, could you call call back and get more cells or uh, since the cells are there? Have you ever done that? I haven't had that scenario come up. Um, it, it would be um, it would be tough to do bilateral Macy's. You must really not like somebody if you're going to put them through that rehab process for both knees. But to your point, you know, if, if if that would be the case, most people nowadays too would want to do it in one sitting purely so they could, you know, shorten their time off work and those sort of things. So, yeah. The, I haven't the, had that one. The two times I've done it were probably two, three years apart. Cells were still there. Um, both were football players. One was an NFL kid. We did one and then came back two, three years later, had a contralateral, probably had a underlying OCD that was a problem. And then, uh, Kind of, kind of re-injured it. So, so tell us about the rehab because the rehab is very interesting, and and you you hit it on the head. It's miserable, very specific. And then we'll talk to Joe a little bit about about what his take on uh, the rehab and what what the athletes or the patients go through. But tell us about the non weight bearing period and kind of uh, the strictness of the post op protocol. Yeah, the the the. Macy's done a really good job of, of the protocol handbook. Uh, and I give the patients that uh, and I copy it and give it to their therapist. And I tell them, uh, these are the guidelines uh, and we don't make exceptions to these guidelines unless, unless the, I'm in that discussion. But you know, the, the biggest thing that most everyone asks me right off the bat is how long am I on crutches? And um, it, it does depend, as you know, too, if we're doing a it's a patellofemoral defect or if it's condyle defect, you can uh, maneuver that just a little bit. But typically, I'll tell them, you know, that range around six weeks. Because even with either protocol, by the time you get around to that six weeks, and it's a progression of weight bearing during that phase, too, uh, that most are, are off off crutches uh, during that time frame. I'll, you know, some others will carry out to, to eight weeks, especially if I'm, if it's a, kissing lesion of the patella trochlea and I'm doing a tibial tubercle uh, osteotomy, I'll, I'll be a little bit more protective uh, of those. But uh, my goal with them too is just 
yes, you're on crutches, yes, but but getting back to some normal day-to-day activities is fairly quickly, fairly quickly, at least maneuvering uh, other than the crutches. Um, and then, but they really look forward to get putting those crutches away and, and, and getting out of the brace. And then once you get up to the, to the three month mark, you'll start really working on strengthening and, and more specific exercises. But, you know, when I have that runner who's asking me every day, when can I start running? Uh, I tell him, don't even talk to me till the nine month mark. And then we'll, then we'll go from there. So. So let me ask you the second most common question. And that is when can I drive? You know, if it's their left leg, whenever they want, uh, if it's their right leg, um, I am probably on the, the realm of I would find any way humanly possible to drive if it was me. Uh, and so <laughs> I love my wife, but if she had to drive me around, we wouldn't get along very well. So, you know, anytime after they're getting some quad function uh, and, and, but again, depending on the lesion, I'd still try to hesitate to them to the good three or four weeks. Now, some are perfectly happy of later than that, um, but most of it by that two-week mark are really, really pushing. And, and again, I'll, I'll kind of individualize that to, to the patient as well. So, Joe, you're on, buddy. So, Dr. Casey gets done, does his procedure sends a patient over, you've got the Macy handbook, which is very long and detailed. Kind of walk us through, A, what you're telling the patient, how you counsel the patient, and B, kind of walk us through day-to-day rehab, how often you're seeing them, uh, do you do blood flow restriction, kind of how, how do you get their quad working, as Dr. Casey mentioned, what does a rehab entail? Yeah, so we'll usually see those patients as early as two to three days out, depending on the patient and whether or not they need that early guidance. Uh, day one is always just a big educational session on the protocol itself, the importance of sticking to said protocol to ensure that they protect that graft at all costs. Um, along with that, weight-bearing instruction is huge. Showing somebody what weight-bearing restriction uh, at 30% looks like versus 50%, because um, those things do add up in the long run, especially depending on the type of lesion that they've had repaired. Bracing is huge, too. So if a patient's in a brace, we want to make sure that that patient understands how to put the brace on, how to set the appropriate range of motion restrictions for that brace so that it is effective. And if the patient is ambulatory and weight-bearing, for the first six weeks, typically that's going to be locked out in an extension. So making sure that they understand how to use their brace is huge on day one as well. As far as the quadriceps and those other major muscle groups, we're trying to come back online after surgery. We have a couple of different things we do day one. You know, uh, NMES is, is huge using electrical stimulation to directly impact those nerve fibers and get that muscle to contract. Even after that swelling gets inhibited, that muscle some. Blood flow restriction uh, can be used when appropriate, just depending on the patient and the athlete involvement you're working for. Of course, you want to start that when it's appropriate. You don't want to start that too early. The patient's already in pain after surgery. They've already had this work done. You would just want to be careful there. Um, the biggest thing, though, is education from our part, being their coach to guide them through that big, long rehab book. I mean, it's hard to understand, especially if you've been trained and you're looking at it. So being able to interpret that correctly, staying in communication with the patient as well as the doctor is essential in that first week or two. That's excellent. What, what, tell us what a CPM machine is. Yeah. So CPM stands for continuous 
continuous passive motion. It's recommended for these patients immediately after surgery just to begin to stress that high, that new cartilage that they've had implanted. Those cells uh, need some input to become those cartilage cells. So they need the appropriate amount of stress and range of motion applied to them so that they will form that proper cartilaginous layer that we're trying to replace and fix that defect. So most patients, those are rented until they don't need those machines anymore, but they can start as early as day one to begin that range of motion. That's excellent. Thank you. So Dr. Casey, give us, give us kind of the complications. What, tell us, tell us about um, hypertrophic grafts. Tell what, what can go wrong and, and, and what do you tell people um, can go wrong when you're kind of talking to patients and counseling patients about, about the surgery, especially the second component of the surgery? I guess the probably first is that the, the, the graft, the cells don't take, uh, again, not, not, fortunately not, not common. Uh, but we all seen that where the cells don't take or certain aspects of that graft. Some of the cells do take and some, some don't and some, uh, and, and some other areas. The, the hypertrophic grafts, uh, fortunately, have kind of dissipated a little bit now with the, with the new Macy, and that was just where the, the cells just overgrow. And I have to assume some of it was just from cell leakage uh, coming from out of the patch where we used to inject those cells. Uh, but, but fortunately, we just don't see that. And the other thing that, that it becomes an issue is stiffness. You know, it's like any knee procedure. The knee hurts, it gets inflamed, uh, it gets stiff. We, we're protecting it uh, so you don't move it too much, but then that can really set up some, some adhesions. Uh, and, and so those are the main things. Obviously with uh, infections, but no, no increased really infection rate that I've seen with these and as any other mini open procedure. And, and kind of give us your, your thoughts on, on results. Um, they're a year out, they're two years out. How do these patients generally do? What percentage do you think return your runner who wants to get back to running or back to sports or just normal daily activities? And, and, and are their knees pretty good? Are they still sore? What's the progression of arthritis? Kind of give us a, a 30,000 outlook on, on expectations. I think the, the pa patient having realistic expectations is the best potential having a good outcome. Um, you know, some are wanting to return back to that same pre-injury uh, activity level, and, and the, there's the studies that can that show that that can uh, can occur. Um, in, in in my world, it's it's getting those people back to their their activities that they want to do with realistic expectations of where they can be. Uh, I do tell them it's a year process. It's a year process at least sometimes with these, and again, depending on the activity level. And I think when I've approached it that way, most of them are pretty, pretty uh, realistic and, and they're happy. It does. It, 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 I definitely see really good results and improvement of those people who are having pain with just day-to-day -day activities, going up and down the steps, uh, standing at work all day. Um, I, I just think the, the, the procedure works very well done on the right patient and done the right way. Um, getting them back to running ultra marathons. Um, you know, th there's some other issues going on if you're running ultra marathons, but, but uh, uh, you know, those are a little bit the tougher ones to get to, but you know, for the runners and specifically for the runners, uh, I tell them that, you know, don't even think about it till you get to that, 
nine to 12 month process. And it may take you another year after that to really get, get back, back to where you need to be. And most are, most are very satisfied with that. You know, I think that's re- realistic. And that, that is a time frame. And sometimes it's hard. You tell somebody it's going to take a year, may take a year and a half to get back. And it seems so long. But then when they're going through it and they're in the middle of it, they're like, you know, I could see why you told me it's going to take so long because mm-hmm. it is a slow, kind of miserable process. But I agree with you. The re- results have been um, very, very good and, and long lasting. So, Joe, home exercises, patients done with therapy, they want to get back to a little bit more aggressive activities. What kind of program, home program do you put them on and, and kind of what do you tell them in terms of protecting them in terms of their exercises? Yeah, so the first step of discharging a patient from formal physical therapy is, of course, having them understand what the next step is, having them understand where they're at in that process. Uh, Some people may have to leave the formal therapy process earlier due to things that come up in their personal lives. So it's our job to educate them and make sure that they know where they're at, where they're headed. You know, somebody who's still just at that three-month mark, we're starting to load the knee a little bit, but we're not starting to do high-impact activity. We're not starting to do plyometrics. We're starting to do functional strengthening exercises for these patients. So understanding that for the patient is huge. Uh, you know, things like functional squatting are appropriate at that time based on the patient, of course. Um, are you going to go back to the gym and put 250 on the bar? Probably not. Uh, so that's important, you know, and those, those athletes that stick with it for – eight to 12 months, uh, you know, at that time they're ready to go, but it's still our job to give them exercises based on where that graft is put that is not going to stress that joint too much. So somebody who's had that patellar graft, we're not going to load that patellofemoral joint excessively, especially not in an open kinetic chain position to where we're going to affect the integrity of that repair. So it really depends on the person, the tibiofemoral those repairs we're really going to look at close kinetic chain exercises for that patient while also avoiding excessive deep flexion and excessive impact through that joint. Um, that's the cool thing about the major procedures. Every patient's different, you know, for total knee replacements, there's, typically one protocol for every patient and that's get your range of motion and your strength for Macy. You really get to get creative in your exercises. You get to give patients exercises based on where they're at in rehab and also their functional goals. So if somebody wants to be a runner and they want to get back to running, we're working on flexibility, range of motion. We're working on that functional strength. We're not going in the gym, having them power left. So it's, it's a fantastic procedure. Patients do really well with it. Uh, hardest thing is just keeping them slowed down. Uh, like Dr. Casey talked about, that's the hard thing. And that's, you have to be the bad guy sometimes. So just let them know, hey, you've got to slow down. We've got to back off. You know, yeah, no pain, no gain is what you hear, but that's not the way that goes with this procedure. And you don't want to affect the integrity of that graft. So I think that's excellent. And I think, you know, Dr. Casey's right and you're right. I mean, there's a big difference between a PF lesion or kissing lesions, or if you have to put a little bone at the bottom of the graft versus a tibiofemoral lesion and the the protocols are different. What you're going to let them do is different and they have to understand the difference. So, so that they can protect the joint when they're like you said, home and are going to make some decisions, which may be good or bad decisions. So in closing, Joe, what do we forget? What, What should we have talked about that we didn't talk about? Initially, the biggest thing is just, 
making sure that, like Dr. Casey said, the patient is ready to go for that rehab program. They're bought in from the beginning. Uh, it's it's too difficult to get somebody to buy in on the back end after they've already had it done, and they expect that, hey, he fixed me. I'm good to go. It'll take care of itself. That's just not how this goes. Um, also, just the communication between the therapist and the doctor is essential. You know, there are times where we see a patient in clinic. We see them three times a week, sometimes two times a week, depending on how frequent they need to come. And and they may be ready in our eyes to proceed to the next level. Well, that's something that we don't, like Dr. Casey said, we're not going to make that call. We're going to communicate to the doctor uh, and not having that relationship would slow that process down because you may get it. Yeah, absolutely. Patient's doing fine. Let's move on. May not happen that way. You may get, hey, let's just hold it off a couple another, another couple weeks. But without that communication piece between the physician and the patient, you're really doing the patient a disservice with the rehabilitation process. You know, I think that's really a good comment from both you guys that there has to be a real um, link in terms of because Dr. Casey's looking at it physiologically and someone may have excellent. It's like an ACL. You know, you might be ready to rock and roll at four months, but we know that at four months, you're, you're probably not really physiologically ready to go back to play college volleyball because the retail rate so high. And, and I think that communication is huge. And you've got the patient and then the parents pushing you. So there's just a lot of factors. So I think both of you guys said the, the exact right thing. There has to be great communication. It's way too complicated a procedure to wing it. And it isn't true that things just kind of work out. Dr. Casey said sometimes the cells don't take. And maybe it is sometimes the patient's fault or a combination problem. So I agree. Dr. Casey, as always, you've been awesome. What did we forget and what should we have talked about? Well, just I'd re just reiterate more of the the uh, getting the expectations of the patient, uh, spending a lot of time really describing uh, what the procedure is, what's involved with it. Um, when I start first talking to someone about this, they're kind of looking at me with the, the allies of what in the world is this quack talking about? And then uh, the, I draw my pictures and I talk about my my potholes in the yard and those sort of things, and then it starts to register. So. Um, the other thing too, I'm just a huge, huge proponent of alignment. Uh, you can put the best craft in the world. And if you don't, if you're don't cr make sure that their alignment is good, it is doomed to fail, doomed to fail. So. I think that's a really good point. You know, Varus Valgus PF. Um, it's just like your, your, your tires being aligned, you know, if, if they're not aligned, you're going to wear your tires out unevenly and the graft is no different. And I think that's really a good point and it may add to the procedure, but it's also going to protect the procedure. So yeah. again, yeah. alignment is huge. Well, you guys, again, you've killed it. And I, and I really, really appreciate it. This is a procedure, you know, that, that does something that when I was learning it, uh, we were taught that articular cards didn't have any blood supply. You couldn't do anything about it. You were just hosed and you were just test destined to failure. And, and, this kind of upholds the opposite that you can do something about it and you can prevent problems down the line. And as you said, you can control pain and swelling and be more active and get back to more normal activity. So cartilage is very difficult. And this is a procedure that allows us, even though it doesn't have great blood supply to generate something that uh, for years, people believe couldn't, couldn't be regenerated. So again, it's, one of my favorite operations. It is long. 
the process is long, but the results are pretty amazing. And uh, again, uh, this was a very, very informative podcast. So thank you. I just keep trying to keep my total joint partners uh, as slow as possible because I'm going to regenerate all these cells so they can't replace them. <laughs> I love that. I have a question, Dr. Casey. Um, can I get back to normal, whatever normal was? If I was active over here, I go through the procedure, can I get back to normal or are there some just sort of general restrictions going forward for the rest of my life? No, I think that, I mean, the ultimate goal from my standpoint is to get you back to normal. Um, you know, that, again, whatever that normal may be, and that may vary depending on what we're doing and what the real problem is. But I think if, if, if the, the, uh, the problem is something that, that a Macy is going to help you with, and I think it, you have every ex, at least high likelihood or expectation to get you back to normal. I'll, I'll have some people that, that tell me they want to get back to running like how they did when they're twenties and they're in their forties. And I just have to politely tell them that's not going to happen. <laughs> but, uh, but uh, no, I, I think I, and I, I'll, I would assume Dr. Rick feel the same way. I think that's kind of what we do in our world of orthopedics is we're trying to get people back to either how they were right before that injury occurred or uh, get them back to their normalcy of, of activities. So is there a, some data out there that says, Hey, this is the success rate. If I did a hundred of these procedures, a percentage will sort of not be successful. Uh, there, there's a lot of data out there with these now. And, you know, it's some of it's just all over places, depending on whether it's a patella defect, a, a condyle defect, those sort of things. But if you probably wanted a generalization, uh, I'll see stuff is mostly in the high 80s to even some low 90s. Now, some of the some of the data may be not as good because a lot of the earlier studies, this was used more for salvage procedures. Uh, this was used for procedures that failed previously, whether they had a micro fracture or a, yeah. an aggressive chondroplasty or or an oat. So that's always going to affect the data a little bit. But um, you know, the you're you're not going to get 10 out of 10. But uh, I would, I would venture to hope you're going to get at least eight to nine out of ten. Yeah, you're going to get too well. Good. Yeah, that's that's a pretty good success rate. By the way, I went out to uh, Macy.com, and uh, all the information, a lot of that information's out there, pretty well laid out there. There's a gentleman by the name of Chris, and he went through his uh, rehabilitation routine. He's pretty good. <laughs> Chris was wonderful. He's right there, right there. <laughs> He's on your screen. All right. Thank you, guys. Hey, real quick, Joe, how does somebody get a hold of you? If they're saying, hey, I want to, you know, I like what you were talking about. How does somebody get a hold of you, Joe? Yeah, absolutely. If you go to corephysicaltherapy.com, we have a clinic locator there on the website. All you do is type in your zip code. You'll pull up the closest clinic near you. Of course, I'm in Knoxville, so mm -hmm. 37931, anywhere in that area, 37916. Just plug it in, and then you can find the locations nearest you. And that's where Joe will be. And uh, Dr. Casey, how does somebody get a hold of you? Uh, website is TocDocs, T-O-C-D-O-C-S.com. In uh, a similar sort of scenario, it uh, links us, links us. Uh, follow several links into where you can go and in regards to for instance me or uh if you want to go see one of my total joint guys but you don't want to because we're going to get you better without having to have your knee replaced first so. 
Well, what are you guys like? Uh, total joint uh, trash talking there? <laughs> well, <what? laughs> no, I, they're just fun to they're just fun to tease. They're really fun to tease. They're very yeah. sensitive. <laughs> Clearly, <laughs> uh, I'm just too dumb to even know it. I was like, wow, wow, he's just talking <laughs> some trash right there. <laughs> All right, you guys, I'll tell you, Doctor Rick, they they were great. Excellent, excellent uh, panel. I, even I was still learning stuff, and I'm just trying to figure out how I can sort of fit into that whole thing. But thank you guys for being on In Your Corner with Core Physical Therapy. Thank you. All right, Thanks listeners, go out to uh, corephysicaltherapy.com. Just like what Joe was saying, if you want to find some specialist that uh, can truly help you on a journey to health, good health, I would imagine just type in your zip code and you're good to go, and you'll find some somebody there. I'd highly recommend that you reach out to Joe and also Dr. Carpenter. All right. Thank you guys for being on In Your Corner with Core Physical Therapy. That was awesome. Have a good night.